You are listening to a message from the Living Word community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. Thank you, Ephraim. Good morning to everyone. It's good to be together this morning, to be able to worship the Lord, to be able to spend some time in his presence. It's good to see your faces. Thank you for everyone who's joining on Zoom. Trust that the Lord is meeting and connecting with you wherever you are in your homes or other places as well. Uh, Let me just begin by uh, opening us up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you so much for all that you have done for us. And we do want to acknowledge that you have been present, that you have been that foundation, that refuge, that shelter that we have turned to over and over again. And we want to thank you so much that you continue to make yourself available to us, that you reach down and you take hold of us, Lord, and you carry us through. And we're so grateful to you for that. Lord, we are grateful for the blessing that it is to be able to know you and to serve you and to live our lives for you. And today, Lord, we do pray that you would continue to speak to us through your word. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for what you show us through your word. And we pray now that you would help us to have your ears to hear what it is that you are saying to us. Lord, we pray that we would not remain the same. We're so grateful, Lord, that you love us as we are, but that you love us enough to continue to change us, continue to make us more like your son, Jesus. And so we pray that our time in the word right now would accomplish that purpose in each of us. Give us your wisdom, give us your heart, give us your understanding. And Jesus, we pray all of this in your name and for your glory alone. Amen. Amen. Well, many of you are aware of the fact that as a community, we have been working our way through the book of Acts. We started uh, about three weeks ago. And I believe that on the schedule today is Acts chapter 18. And so what I would like us to do is jump ahead a little bit. And today we are going to look at a portion of scripture that's found in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We are going to look at a farewell address of the Apostle Paul. And before we get into any more details about it, I want us just to read the passage. It's a little bit longer. We're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 20 in verse 17, and then we're going to read through verse 35. Paul is coming to the end of his third missionary journey. Remember, Luke records for us three distinct trips that Paul took as a missionary. The first one, he was partnered with Barnabas. The second and the third ones, he was partnered with Silas. So at this point, his third missionary journey is beginning to wind down, and he is making his way ultimately back to Jerusalem. Normally, when Paul embarked on his journeys, he started from Antioch and then would return to Antioch. But as we will see in what we're about to read, on this occasion, the Holy Spirit was making it clear to Paul that he was to make his way to Jerusalem. So again, picking it up in verse 17 of Acts Chapter 20. It says, From Miletus, Paul went to Ephesus, or excuse me, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Although I was severely tested by the plot of the Jews, you know 
that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of everyone, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flocks of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Well, there's a lot of things in there, but what we see is that the overall context is that this is a farewell address from the Apostle Paul to the elders of the church at Ephesus. At this point, Paul was making his way by boat, and it says that he stopped at Miletus, which was a shore town. Ephesus was a little bit further inland. And rather than he himself going again to Ephesus, he asked for the Ephesian elders to meet him there in Miletus. But as we saw, the Apostle Paul knew that he would never see this group of elders again. And so this was his farewell address. This was his final words to them. And we see that in Scripture, this is actually something that occurs somewhat regularly. If you look at the book of Deuteronomy, really Deuteronomy is Moses' farewell address to the nation of Israel. Israel is on the brink of the promised land. Moses knows that he himself is not going to take them in. And the book of Deuteronomy is Moses' last words, his farewell address to the nation of Israel. One book later, in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, he has done what the Lord has asked of him, and he is getting ready to sleep with his fathers. And he gives them his, again, to the nation of Israel. Joshua gives him Self, excuse me, gives his farewell address to the nation of Israel. And of course, we see this also with Jesus, probably most clearly in the Gospel of John, as Jesus is preparing to head to the cross, beginning in John 14. There's a long farewell address from Jesus to his disciples 
as he prepares them for his going to the cross and his ultimate departure. So we see that this idea of someone giving their last words to a group of people is not at all uncommon in Scripture. And so Paul realized that he was never going to see the group of Ephesian elders again, so he was giving them his final words. In the last couple of verses of this chapter that we did not read, it actually says that when he was done, the Ephesian elders wept, mostly because they realized that they would never see Paul again. The context of this, as we've mentioned already, is the Apostle Paul, a man called to proclaim the gospel, a man called to proclaim the whole counsel of God, things that he mentions in this speech. And his audience, it isn't even the entirety of the Ephesian church. His audience is specifically the elders, those who had been appointed as leaders of the church in Ephesus. So as we look at it, this may seem a little bit distant to many of us. I'm not sure that any of us would consider ourselves to be apostles. I'm not sure any of us would say, yes, I recognize that that is the calling of the Lord on my life, to be an apostle, even as the apostle Paul was. There's only a couple of us here that have been ordained right now to be elders of the church. So maybe you're thinking this is just a message for Ephraim and Ted and Dan and Carl. And so initially it looks like there may be some distance here because it's an apostle speaking to elders. But I think when we dig a little deeper, what we see is that there are many things that the Apostle Paul shares that speak to each one of us, regardless of our specific situation, and in fact, directly to our specific situation. As the Apostle Paul was delivering this final address to the Ephesian elders, he warns them. He talks about some things that he knows are coming that they need to be careful of. He also charges them or commissions them and tells them how they are to walk out from that point on. These are aspects of Paul's address that we're not going to look at too carefully today. But another thing that he does in his farewell address is he reminds them of how he lived among them. He reminds them of how he conducted himself when he was in Ephesus with them. And that's the part of his address that I want us to focus on together today. And so I want each one of us to think about something that oftentimes we don't think about until somebody dies. But I want us to think about our legacy. I want us to think about our legacy. When somebody dies and we as believers come together, we oftentimes reflect on that person's legacy. We reflect on the impact that they had on others. We reflect on the mark that they left in this world in terms of how they influenced, encouraged, strengthened, challenged others. And when the Lord calls a sister or brother home, it's absolutely appropriate to do that. It's appropriate to consider that person's legacy. It's appropriate to consider how did that person live their life? How did that person leave the mark of Jesus on those around them? But I think it's also incredibly valuable not to wait until either we die or someone else dies to consider that, particularly when you're considering your own legacy. Because if you are waiting until the Lord calls you home to consider your own legacy, at that point there won't be anything that you can do about it because you will be in the presence of the Lord. But if you take time now before the Lord calls you home, to consider your legacy, then we really can have the Lord speak to us. And so that's what I want each one of you to consider. Again, I don't think any of you have been called to be an apostle, but every single one of you have been called by Jesus Christ. Every single one of you have been called to do something and probably many things in this life for him. So even though you are not an apostle, that in no way minimizes the fact that Jesus has called you. That Jesus has set you apart to live your life for him. Whether that is as a garbage man 
or as a housewife, or as a student, or as a neighbor, or a son, or a sister, or a mother, the myriad of callings that the Lord places on his people is as big as he is. So don't let the fact that Paul, who was called to be an apostle, make this passage of scripture seem distant to you. That was his calling. Remember last week when we were looking at Ananias, when Ted was sharing with us, we looked also at the Lord Jesus Christ calling on Paul. That was the Lord's calling on Paul. If the Lord wanted you to be an apostle, you would be an apostle. If the Lord wanted you to be an elder, you would be an elder. But whatever the specific calling is that the Lord has placed on you, it is just as much from his as any other. And he's looking for you to walk in it and to fulfill it just as much as he was looking at the Apostle Paul to fulfill the Lord's calling on his life. So what I want you to do in the next couple minutes that we're going to spend together is I want you to consider your legacy. I want you to consider your calling in Jesus Christ. Now again, some of you may be very much on the end of things where you're at the beginning of your calling. And this is a wonderful time to consider about the impact, to consider about the influence that you will have on others. For some of us, we realize that we are closer to the finish line than we are to the starting line. And that's okay. Because until the Lord calls us home, he's not done with us. Until the Lord calls us home, there is another calling on us. One day we will all receive that ultimate calling of Jesus saying, my son, my daughter, it's time to come home. But until that calling falls on us, there is something that he has called us to do. There is someone that he has called us to be. There is a mark that he wants us to leave on the people around us, in the place in which he has put us. So that's what I want each one of us to consider. Now some of you may be saying, well, I don't know what my calling is, or I'm not even sure I'm walking in my calling. And I get up and I go to work each day and I say, man, what am I doing? Well, this is a wonderful time to simply consider, what are you doing? And are you really doing what the Lord has asked of you? And if you're not sure... That's okay. Continue to walk in what you do know. Because the Lord has called you to serve him. The Lord has called you to love your neighbor. The Lord has called you to pray for those who persecute you. There's an incredible amount of calling that is absolutely clear in Scripture. So if you're not 100% sure of what the Lord has called you to, maybe you're in school and you're not really sure which direction you should take. Maybe you're at a job and you're like, I'm not really sure I can see myself doing this. Maybe you are wanting to do something else. This is a, an incredible opportunity to ask the Lord. Lord, what do you have for me? And while you are waiting on him, do what you know that he has called you to. Because every single one of us has a calling with the things that I just mentioned. But these are the kind of things that I want us to consider together this morning. And that's the aspect of Paul's farewell address that we're going to look at today. And we're going to see five things in particular, although there's many more there. We're going to look at five things in particular. Someone asked me once, do you try to get to seven because seven's such a good number? Seven is a good number, but I said, no, I don't try to get to seven necessarily. So as I was preparing this, five things jumped out to me. I'm sure there's at least two more, but we'll look at five today. So looking specifically now at verse 19, he says, I serve the Lord with great humility. So the first thing that I want us to consider in our calling, in our legacy, in our impact on those around us, are you doing this with humility. 
That's one of the very first things that Paul mentioned to the Ephesian elders when he was talking about how he had lived amongst them. He said, I was with you in humility. Now think of the Apostle Paul, a man that was taken up to the third heaven, a man who saw things that were too wonderful to even speak about, a man who was called by Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ amongst the Gentiles in a way that no one ever had, a man that was called to plant churches throughout the Roman Empire, A man who was given a gifting of teaching that really no one else has ever had since him because he penned so many books of the New Testament. Now, talk about a man who had reason to be puffed up with pride. Talk about a man who had reason to say, hey, when I come into town, make sure you get me the suite at the nicest hotel. And make sure you get me the nicest meal for my pre-sermon dinner. And make sure you take care of me because you know... I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. And wouldn't Paul, in a natural sense, have had every right to do that? But instead, and he wasn't lying, he wasn't being falsely humble. Instead, he says, actually, I served in your midst with humility. With humility. And so whatever we are doing, whatever we are called to do, whatever the thing that Jesus has put in us and in front of us, whatever the legacy that Jesus is saying, this is the mark I want you to leave on those around you. One of the things that we need to keep absolutely in front of us is we need to do it with humility. Now, let me tell you one thing humility is not. Humility is not making light of the gifts that God has given you. Sometimes we think that being humble is diminishing the gifts that God has given us. No, that's not being humble. That's just dishonoring God. Humility is not failing to recognize or use the gifts that God has given you. That is not humility. What humility does is humility fully embraces the gifts that have been given to us by Jesus Christ. But humility never takes the credit for them. Humility acknowledges that God can use us, that God can use us in powerful ways, that God can use us to shape and influence the lives of others, but recognizes that none of that comes from ourselves, that all of that is a gift of God. You see, the humbleness that Paul lived when he was with the Ephesians didn't deny that he was able to preach the gospel accurately and with power and authority, didn't deny that he was used by God to perform miracles and all sorts of other signs and wonders. You see, that was not humility. The humility of Paul was that he never himself took credit for it. He never said, yeah, this is because of me. So there's a bit of a a middle ground that the Lord wants us to walk in. He wants us to fully recognize the gifts, the talents, the abilities that he's given to each one of us. If God has given us ten pieces of gold... He doesn't want us to call it copper and throw it away. He wants us to say, wow, 10 pieces of gold. This is valuable. This is precious. I can do something with this. He wants us to fully recognize the gifts and the abilities that he's given us. But humility always gives him the glory. Humility never takes upon itself the credit for what only belongs to God. So whatever your calling is, whatever legacy Jesus is asking of you to leave in this world, don't diminish what God has given you to fulfill that calling. Don't sell Jesus short. He's given each one of us incredible talents, incredible abilities. Use it. 
recognize the power that lives within each one of us, but in humility, always give him the glory. Always give him the credit. That's what he's looking for. And the amazing thing is, the more humble we are, the more powerfully God will use us. When we start to take the credit ourselves, when we start to make it more about us, we actually limit what God can do. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So as followers of Jesus Christ, the more humble we are, the more powerfully he will use us. And again, this is just one of an infinite number of examples where Jesus and the kingdom call us to think exactly opposite of how the world thinks. Because who in the world says the more humble you are, the more powerful you will be? Who in the world says the more low you are, the more low you place yourself, the more influence you will have on those around you? But that's exactly the call of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said, look, when I was in your midst, these own hands worked hard and supported not only myself, but my team. And we're going to get to that in a second. He said, I didn't ask for your silver or your gold. Again, if anyone could have rolled into town and said, hey, put me up at the nicest place, give me the nicest meals, it certainly was the Apostle Paul. But no, in humility, in humility, he didn't ask for any of that. And that's the example that we should be following. And of course, the ultimate example of this is Jesus Christ. Who had more power than Jesus? And who was more humble than Jesus? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Part of the glory of Jesus Christ was his willingness to humble himself. Part of the reason why all of creation will worship him forever in unceasing praise and adoration is because he willingly humbled himself. He didn't deny who he was. He didn't deny the incredible power that the Father had placed in him through the Holy Spirit that came upon him at his baptism. But he willingly humbled himself. So that is one of the legacies that we should be leaving. Whatever your calling is, whatever your calling is, don't disparage or diminish the talents that God has given you. Use them, but use them in humility. Give him the glory. Give him the credit. The second thing that I want us to look at is opposition. In the second part of verse 19, he says, Although I was severely tested by the plot of the Jews. And then jumping down a little to verse 22 and 23. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Plots of the Jews, suffering, prison, hardship. This was also part of what Paul experienced as he was walking out his calling in the Lord. And so we must also recognize that as we continue to move forward in what Jesus has called us to do, at times there will be opposition. At times there will be hardships and difficulties. And sometimes, for many of us, when we start to face those sort of things, we just want to give up. We just want to give up. Because, of course, which one of us hopes that we're going to have a lot of opposition? Which one of us hopes that we're going to have a really difficult time doing the things that Jesus has asked of us? Which one of us prays, Jesus, please make this as hard as possible for me? I don't want it to be easy. I don't want it to work well. I mean, of course, none of us pray for that. 
But the Apostle Paul just simply embraced it and just simply said, this was how I conducted myself in your midst. Because when I was in Ephesus, when I was in Ephesus, the Jews were plotting against me. And of course, we have seen over and over again in the book of Acts the type of opposition that Paul faced on a regular basis. On a regular basis, the Jews were either trying to stone him or actually stoning him. Gentile leaders were beating him with rods and chaining him in a dungeon. And of course, when we get to the epistle of, of Corinthians, we are given a list of all that he suffered. Well, does that mean that Paul was pursuing the wrong calling? Does that mean that Paul was doing the wrong thing? Did he say, hey, Jesus, maybe I missed you because, you know, I'm, I'm getting a lot of blowback here. I'm getting a lot of pushback here. I'm going into a town and telling folks about you the way I thought you wanted me to, and they try to kill me. Maybe, maybe this is the wrong calling. Maybe I just need to be that garbage man after all. And sometimes that's the way we process things. Sometimes we look at opposition. Sometimes we look at difficulty, and we think, hey, maybe I'm missing the Lord. Now, here's the tricky part. Sometimes we are. Sometimes things are difficult unnecessarily because we are pursuing the wrong thing. It would be wrong to say that opposition always indicates that we're doing the right thing. It would be wrong to say that opposition always indicates we're doing the wrong thing. Look at Jonah. Jonah received some opposition, not because he was faithfully fulfilling the call of the Lord on his life, but because he was trying to run away from the Lord. So it requires an incredible amount of wisdom. And I know many of you are saying, man, why can't the Lord just make it easy? Why can't he just say, if I'm getting opposition, I'm doing the right thing, praise God. Or if I'm getting opposition, I'm doing the wrong thing, I need to change course as well. It isn't that simple. And what it actually requires is for you to be earnestly seeking the Lord. You see, Jonah absolutely knew why that storm was there. No doubt in his mind, he's like, look, this storm is here because I'm running away from the Lord. Paul absolutely knew why he was receiving opposition, because I'm doing the very thing that Jesus asked me to do. Both of them absolutely knew the reason for the opposition that they were facing. And so it requires that we actually diligently seek the Lord. It requires that we regularly ask him, Lord, why am I facing this opposition? Is this simply because I'm pushing against the wrong door? Or is this simply because I'm doing what you have asked of me? We need to know that. We need to know that. And if you don't, don't panic. Just simply start asking the Lord. What is the reason for this opposition? What is the reason for this hardship? Does this mean that I'm actually doing exactly what you want me to do? Or does this mean it's time to consider that you're calling me to something else, to something different, or maybe just a different way of doing things? But again, as we look to Jesus, no one suffered more than him. And certainly in his life, it was never an indication it was because he was going in the wrong direction or he was doing the wrong thing. Jesus always perfectly did everything that the Father asked of him and look at the suffering that ensued as a result. So as you are considering your legacy, as you are considering your impact, your influence on those around you, do not be surprised when there is opposition. Do not be surprised when there is hardship and difficulty. And when that arises, simply ask the Lord, are you simply making me like Jesus who suffered for me? Or are you telling me I'm pursuing the wrong thing and need to pursue something else? And you know what? Jesus will make it clear. Jesus actually wants you to know what is in his heart for you. He actually does. He really wants you to know why he created you, why he saved you, and to what he called you. He wants you to know that. He really does. And none of us hear him perfectly, and none of us hear him all the time instantly, but we all have the ability to hear him. So when you face opposition, 
Simply go to the Father and say, what does this mean? What are you saying? Am I on the right course and simply being made like your son Jesus who suffered for me? Or is this an indication that I'm heading in the wrong direction? Make that clear. And in his timing, he will be delighted. He will be delighted to do so. So, humility, point number one. Opposition, point number two. Jump now down to verse 24. This is probably one of these points that we're going to like a little bit less than some of the others. Maybe we don't like opposition and humility much either. Maybe none of these points are easy. I don't know. Verse 24 says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Yeah, I guess this is going to be a bad one. I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Now he goes on to remind us of what his task and calling was. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. As an apostle to the Gentiles, that was part of his calling. Now, of course, all of us have been called to live and present the gospel, but that may not be in the same way as an apostle. But again, even if you've not been called to be an apostle, is your legacy exactly what Paul says in the first part? Is your legacy that you consider your life worth nothing compared to the importance of completing the task to which Jesus has called you? That is incredible determination. That is incredible focus. That is incredible perseverance. And we might want to say, well, that's just for him because he was an apostle. No, I don't think so. I think whatever it is that Jesus has called us to be, whatever it is that Jesus has called us to do, we should be absolutely as determined to complete our race, to complete our course, as much so as the Apostle Paul. Because again, look at Jesus. Jesus knew what his race was. Jesus knew what his course was. It was a Roman cross on a hill outside the city of Jerusalem. And it says that he set himself to go to Jerusalem. That was part of why the Samaritans were not super excited about him. Because he set himself to go to Jerusalem. Jesus had an absolute steeled determination to complete the course that had been set before him. When he's praying in the garden, we see the incredible anguish and torment that this put on him. When he says, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And in fact, the author of Hebrews tells us that as he was determined unshakably to go to Jerusalem and to die on a cross, he actually was looking beyond that to the joy set before him on the other side of the cross. That's why he endured it. Well, he imparted that to his servant, the Apostle Paul. And so like his Savior, the Apostle Paul had a steel determination, an unflinching perseverance to do everything that he could to complete the course, the race, the calling that Jesus had placed on him. In fact, so much so that he said, my life was worth nothing to me in comparison to doing what Jesus asks of me. Well, that's a pretty high standard. We can duck it if we want to. We can say, well, that was for him, not for me. But I think deep down each one of us knows the calling of Jesus on our lives is just the same. The calling of Jesus on our lives should be held as just as valuable, just as precious, just as important. And each one of us need to do everything that we can to walk in that. 
Now here is again one of these great Christian contradictions. In another one of his letters, the Apostle Paul says, Hey, look, I worked harder than all the other apostles. I tried harder. I did more. Human effort, human energy. But then the very next thing he says, But not really me, but the grace of Christ working in me. So which is it, Paul? Is it your effort or is it the grace of Christ? Which is it, Paul? Well, I think Paul would say, yes, it's my effort and it's the grace of Christ. Because that's exactly how he puts it. I worked harder. I was more determined. I put more of my own energy and effort into fulfilling my calling than any of the other apostles. And yet not really me, but the grace of Christ working in me. Remember we said earlier that you will actually be more powerful the more you humble yourself. The more you adopt an attitude of genuine humility, the more that God is able to use you. I actually believe that the grace of Christ in our lives to fulfill his calling, not the grace of Christ to forgive us, that's unchanging, but the grace of Christ in our lives to fulfill our calling actually increases as we put forth an effort. I believe that's absolutely what takes place. So again, we can't ultimately take the credit for it because it's the grace of Christ working in us. It's the grace of Christ working through us. But we also can't just sit on our hands and say, well, he'll do it. Remember the servant that buried his talent. Well, when the master came, he didn't say, hey, good job. You did nothing because you knew it was all about the effort of your Lord and Savior. Now that, that, that servant got a hard rebuke. So here again, I think, is another incredible, if you want to say contradiction, I would not, an incredible complementation within the kingdom of God. We absolutely have to be completely and totally sold out and determined to fulfill our calling in Christ. And yet, ultimately, it's the grace of Christ working in us, the grace of Christ working through us, the grace of Christ giving us the ability to do the things that he's asked of us. I worked harder than anyone else, but not me, the grace of Jesus. So that unflinching determination, could any of us really honestly say, Jesus, I really consider my life worth nothing compared to fulfilling what you want me to do on this planet in the few short years you've given me? Well, I hope the Lord is moving us towards that attitude. Because the more that we adopt that attitude, the more that we adopt that, that perspective, that I am here to serve Jesus. I'm breathing his air and eating his food and wearing his clothes and living in his homes to do what he has called me to do. The more that we adopt that attitude, the more likely we are to complete with excellence the calling that he's put on our life. And like the Apostle Paul, to say, wow, more important than my own life, more important than my own pleasure, more important than my own comfort, is your calling on my life. Give me that zeal. Give me that enthusiasm. Give me that joy to do what you have created me to do, what you have called me to do. Will it be easy? No, of course not. We just said there will be opposition. But will there be anything that will have greater satisfaction? Absolutely not. You want to live a miserable life? Give a lukewarm effort to the calling of Jesus on your life. You want to feel empty and pointless? Just mail it in and say, I'm just going to make it to the end with the minimal effort. You want to live a life of incredible satisfaction, of incredible joy that's so down deep that the opposition can't touch it? A life of just nothing in this world can possibly compare to, then go wholeheartedly after the vision, the calling that Jesus has placed on you. That's what the Apostle Paul did. And of course, that's what Jesus did. And that's what he invites us to do as well. So, humility, opposition, determination, 
The next point, we're going to try to get through two more points here. Can we hang on for two more points? Is Zoom, is Zoom land sleeping, Alex? Can you see? They all have their screens off. They're all watching TV. They look like they're there. Their name is there. Tell them to turn their screens on and wave to you, Alex. You hear that, Zoom land? Particularly my youngest daughter. Sorry, Mima. I didn't mean to call you out. I'm sure she's watching. She's very faithful. Now I distracted myself. Point number four, looking at verse 26. Looking at verse 26. It says, Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of everyone. Now, when you're considering your legacy, that may not be something that like initially pops in your head. That, hey, Abilio, I'm innocent of your blood. Hey, Rayford, I'm innocent of your blood. If I said that to you, you may say, um, okay. Not sure I needed to hear that, but whatever. He's the pastor. He's an elder. We'll just, you know, kind of push that with that. So why would Paul say that? Why would Paul say that? Well, because Paul realized that the work to which Jesus Christ had called him gave him a responsibility to those around him. It wasn't just him. He was actually responsible for the people around him that were part of his calling. And so he said, look, I told you everything that Jesus wanted me to tell you. I taught you night and day. I warned you. I encouraged you. I exhorted you. I did not hold one aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ back. I gave it all to you. Look particularly at verse 27. I gave you the whole counsel of God. Just a quick aside. The seminary that I went to Westminster Theological Seminary. It's up in Glenside, Pennsylvania. Like a lot of universities, they, they have a crest or a shield. I don't even know what you call them. You know, it's something that looks really old, and sometimes it's an open book or a sword. Or University of Pennsylvania has a fish on it. I forget why that fish is there. Camille probably knows. But on Westminster's whatever, crest or logo, that's the phrase that it has. In Greek, of course, because they wouldn't put it in English. But in Greek, the whole counsel of God. That was their clarion call. And you know, I've never preached a sermon on Ephesians chapter 20, and I always like hoping I would get an opportunity to do it. And so I'm finally preaching a sermon on Ephesians chapter, or excuse me, Acts chapter 20, the farewell to the Ephesian elders. But this is why the Apostle Paul says, I'm innocent of your blood. It's like Samuel in his farewell address. There's another one. Once you start to think about it, you were like, a lot of people had farewell addresses. Samuel, in his farewell address, said, look, I never wronged you. I never did anything against you that you can hold against me. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying because he understood that his calling in Jesus included them. And he had walked out his calling in such a way that they couldn't come back to him and said, hey, Paul, you didn't tell us about the millennium. You didn't tell us about baptism. You didn't tell us about eschatology. No, the apostle Paul said, you know what? I gave it all to you. I gave you the whole counsel of God. And so I'm innocent of your blood because I have walked out faithfully what Jesus asked of me. Now, again, that's a pretty high bar. Was Paul fudging things here? Absolutely not. But now maybe you're honestly looking at your legacy. And maybe you're honestly looking at the influence and the mark that you've had. I hope that you are. Because if you're not, I don't know why you're here. You might as well go home. Because that's what the Lord is asking us to do together today. And so maybe you're looking at your legacy. Maybe you're looking at your calling. And you can't quite say, hey, I'm innocent. I've perfectly walked out what Jesus has asked me to do. You know, maybe there are some unresolved issues Maybe there is some unpaid debt. Maybe there are some failures on your part. Well, you know what? Jesus wants you to be able to say, hey, 
I'm clean. I'm innocent. So what do you do? You try to deny it. You try to blame it on somebody else. You say, hey, that wasn't my fault. That was their fault. No, Jesus didn't want me to do that. That was someone else's job. No, 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 you're remembering it wrong. I never said that. Is that how we clean our account? Is that how we say I am innocent? No, we fully own up to it. We fully own up to our failures. We fully own up to our sins. We fully own up to our shortcomings and say, man, Jesus wanted me to say this, and you know what? I didn't. I blew it. I completely caved into the flesh and said no. Jesus wanted me to go there, and you know what? I didn't. Jesus wanted me to share with her, and I didn't. Don't try to deny it. Don't try to put it on somebody else. Don't try to say it wasn't what the Lord asked you to do. Fully embrace it. You know, Martin Luther, the German reformer, said, if you're going to sin, sin boldly. Now, that sounds a little different than what he meant. But what he meant is when you blow it, just say you blew it. Don't try to be better than you are. Don't try to say that I was perfect if you weren't. Don't try to say that you did something that you didn't. Don't blame shift. Don't put it on somebody else. Don't say it's not my fault. Say it is my fault. Because then, like the Apostle Paul, you will be able to say, I'm clean. I'm innocent. That's what Jesus is looking for. And again, every one of you is here. Not one of you is in a casket up front. We're not eulogizing you, which means you still have time. You still have an opportunity. And I bet you if there are some things that you are leaving in your legacy right now that aren't what you want them to be, that you have an opportunity to do differently in that area. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. That's the blessing that Jesus gives us. So if part of your legacy right now is having fallen short, not having done what you know Jesus wanted you to do, own up to it. Just say it. Just confess it. Just repent. Be fully forgiven. Be fully cleansed. Remember the words of the prophet Isaiah, though your sins be as red as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. It's not just a, a mind trick. It's not just doublespeak. When you are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, you can honestly stand before him and say, I am clean. It's gone. My failures, my sins, my shortcomings, avoiding your calling, getting scared of what you wanted me to do, hiding from your calling, running away from your calling. When we confess it, when we own up to it, when we repent, it's gone. We are clean. And we can say the same thing the Apostle Paul says, I am innocent of your blood because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And then that renews us. That gives us a greater determination. That inspires us to live even more zealously the calling of Jesus Christ on our lives. The more we try to hide things, the more we try to diminish our guilt, the more we try to diminish our sin, the more we try to diminish our responsibility, again, you know it, the less effective we will be. The less effective we will be. The less able we will be to walk in the calling of Jesus Christ in our lives. So embrace your failures, not because you're proud of them, but because it's the only way past them. Embrace your failures and just say, Jesus, I blew it. Forgive me. Cleanse me. And Jesus will say, good, let's go. Let's leave that behind. Let's leave that behind. I've still got some stuff for you. You're still breathing my air. You're still eating my food. You're still wearing my clothes. I still got some stuff for you to do. So let's go. That's what he will say. That's what he will say. Last thing, number five. Somewhere five is a holy number. I don't know why. Five of David's mighty men were set apart above the others. There you go. There's five. Five is a holy number. It's a good number for points in a sermon. 33. We already touched on this. I just want to expand on this and then close it. 
Verse 33. My eyes are a little blurry here. I can't find 33. There it is. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. If only that were more of the legacy of the American church. If only that were more of the legacy of the American church. I have not coveted your gold or your silver or your clothing. You see, as the Apostle Paul was reflecting on how he had lived in Ephesus, he said, you know what? I didn't want your stuff. In fact, when he's writing Corinth, he goes so far as to say, I don't want your gold. I want you. I want you as my sisters and brothers in Christ. I don't want the money in your bank account. I don't want your offerings or tithes. I don't want that. I want you. When he was in Ephesus, he didn't want their silver. He didn't want their gold. He didn't want their nice clothes. And that's why he worked with his own hands as a tent maker. Remember, we just learned that. That's how he came across Aquila and Priscilla, right? Aquila and Priscilla were tent makers, and so they kind of found each other as fellow tent makers. He worked with his own hands. So why are you doing what you're doing? Years ago when I was much younger, and that's many years ago, and was young in ministry, I remember someone who was older in ministry said, if you didn't get paid a nickel, would you do what you're doing? If you didn't get paid a nickel, would you do what you're doing? If the answer is yes, that probably means you're walking in at least part of, if not all, of what the Lord has for you. If you're doing what you're doing for a paycheck only, you may be pursuing the wrong thing. Now, of course, we've got to pay bills. We've got to buy groceries. Uncle Sam wants his. There's nothing wrong with receiving a wage for what you do. But if that's why you do it, then you're probably not really walking in the calling that Jesus has for you. But if you're doing what you're doing because you love it, because you know it's what Jesus asks of you, because you're convinced it's his calling for you, then you know what's going to happen? He's going to provide the gold and silver that you need. You see, we don't actually have to worry about that piece of it. As crazy as that sounds, and I know this is completely contrary to the entire American way of viewing things. If you are simply doing what Jesus wants you to do, if you are convinced that, hey, this is why I was created, this is why I was put on this planet, I'm going to do it. If you simply do what Jesus wants you to do, you know what he's going to do? He's going to feed you like the birds of the air. He's going to clothe you like the flowers of the fields. That's what he promises. You don't have to worry about the paycheck. You don't have to worry about the income. You have to worry about doing what Jesus has called you to do. He will take care of making sure that your bills are paid. Now, I'm not saying we be foolish. Of course not. But I'm saying we don't do what we do for the paycheck. We don't do what we do for the silver or for the gold. Jesus knows what you need. He knows what your rent is. He knows what your utilities are. He knows what it costs you to live the life that he's called you to live. And you know what? If you are absolutely determined to live his calling on your life, he will take care of that stuff. There was a time in my life where I was a full-time student at Westminster. I was working part-time, but it wasn't much. It was about $300 a month. I know it's hard to believe you could live off of $300 a month, but the Lord gave me the grace to do it. But $300 a month, even way back when I was going to seminary, which is like a lot of years ago, wasn't quite enough. And you know what happened every month for about two years? At the beginning of each month, through my mail slot, would come a plain white envelope with my name on it and $100 in cash. To this day, I have no idea who did that. But every month, that envelope was there. Every month. That envelope with $100 cash was there. John Kohler would remember this. John Runkle would remember this. These were my roommates at the time. To this day, I have no idea who did that. 
But God knew I needed an extra 100 bucks. He knew 300 wasn't quite enough, but 400, I could make 400 work. I didn't take my wife on extravagant dates at that time. Our dates were pretty simple, but she fortunately was okay with that. But in other words, Jesus knew my need. He knew my need. He even knew my financial need. And he knew I wasn't being lazy. He knew I wasn't, you know, sitting around playing video games all day. He knew I was trying to walk in his calling on my life, which at that time was to be a full-time student at Westminster. And you know what? He took care of me. He took care of me. Another story just from that period of my life. I worked for one semester as a security guard, again, to try to make that $300 a month. Well, the only shifts that I could work while being a full-time student was midnight to 8. And so two nights a week, I would work midnight to 8. Well, I don't know how many of you have ever worked midnight to 8 and then tried to go to a full day of school, but it's not really easy to do. I would go to school, and I would fall asleep on the couch in the lounge, and I had a friend who was in my 9 o'clock class. I said, please wake me up at 9. Oftentimes, he would wake me up. There'd be a huge drool stain on the Westminster Lounge Seminary couch. I apologize for doing that. And I'd go to class, and I'd try to stay awake. I did that for a semester, and I just said, Lord, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm absolutely a wreck. I'm staying up all night, two nights a week, trying to sleep the other five nights a week, trying to go to full-time school. I can't do this anymore. And wouldn't you know, about a week later, a young couple in my Greek class said, we are looking for a youth pastor at our church. Would you be willing to do this? I said, okay, as long as it's okay with the elders here. The elders here said, that's fine. And almost to the dollar, the amount that I was making doing two shifts as a security guard was exactly what they paid me to be a youth pastor at that Korean church. You think God knows our needs? You think God can take care of us? Do you think we have to chase silver and gold? Do you think we need to be doing our calling in Christ to try to get that paycheck? No way. No way. He doesn't promise you a Rolls Royce. I know you can find the preacher out there who says he does promise you a Rolls Royce. I'm saying, no, he doesn't. He doesn't promise you a mansion. He doesn't promise you a jet. He doesn't promise you a swimming pool in your backyard. He may give you that, but if he doesn't, he promises you he will give you your daily bread. He promises you he sees your needs. And if he can take care of the birds, and if he can take care of the flowers, he can certainly take care of you. Is your legacy... I didn't do it for money. I didn't do it for human recognition. I didn't do it for the paycheck. I didn't do it for the name on my placard. I did it for Jesus. Where was Paul's placard? Where was Paul's promotion? Where was Paul's raise? Well, he went from getting beaten with rods to being stoned. He went from being shipwrecked to being thrown in prison. That was his promotion. What was his human recognition? He's weak. He's not a real apostle. He's a fake apostle. We're the real apostles. That was his human recognition. But you know what he did it for? He did it for Jesus. And right now, where is Paul's recognition? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master today. If you get a promotion at work, that's great. If your boss recognizes you, that's great. If your professor says, wow, amazing paper you wrote me. That's fantastic. And if none of that ever comes, if you are simply doing what the Lord created you to do, if you are simply doing everything you can to faithfully fulfill his calling on your life, that well done will make every promotion look like a dumpster. That well done will make every human recognition look like a curse. That well done will make every temporary accolade that can be achieved in this life look a lot like rubbish, which is what Paul said to the Philippians. So let's take some time to evaluate our legacy. Let's take some time to consider, are we doing what we were created to do? Are we walking in the calling of Christ on our lives? Are we doing it with humility? Are we ready for and willing to persevere through opposition? Are we determined to walk it out? Will we say that our life is worth nothing? Will we own up to our sins and failures, be cleansed, and will we do it ultimately for his approval, not for human recognition or financial gain?
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for giving us a little bit of time to consider your word today. And we're so grateful to you for the calling that you placed on the Apostle Paul. And even though we are not called to be apostles, we know that each one of us has been called by you, have been given talents and gifts and purpose and meaning. Help us, Lord, to know that. Help us, Lord, to be faithful, to walk it out in a way that brings you glory. As we consider these things, Lord, may your spirit be speaking to us. May your spirit be encouraging us. And I just want to pray particularly, Lord, for each one of us who has fallen short. May we just embrace that and let you forgive us because I know that you want us to move on. May we receive that forgiveness, that cleansing that only can come through the blood of Jesus Christ. And may we move forward in doing what you ask of us. And Jesus, it is in your name and for your glory alone that we pray these things. Amen.